Hello, this is OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson, and welcome back. On our podcast this week, we have 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. We're talking about a recent survey that says Massachusetts consumers want coupons and loyalty programs for their alcoholic beverage purchases. Amazon and Whole Foods are entering the food delivery game. And young people in Japan now get to be grown-ups two years earlier. Also, Ann Murphy in our office speaks with Andrea Lee Blackman, a local actress, model, and stunt woman. Yes, she's very cool. And she recently portrayed Joan Kennedy in the movie Chappaquiddick. Finally, in two minutes with Tom this week, our CEO Tom O'Neill reflects on Father's Day, the importance of that Father's Day phone call, and takes a moment to talk about his dad, former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. First up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, the official podcast series of O'Neill & Associates, New England's leader in public affairs. My name is Cosmo Macero, your host for 321 Go, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three important stories from the universe of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. In this installment of 321 Go, we'll look at a new survey that suggests Massachusetts consumers want the same kind of coupons and loyalty programs for beer, wine, and spirits that they get from all kinds of other retailers. And Whole Foods is using its Amazon delivery chops to expand its Prime Now two-hour delivery service to more cities, including Boston. And finally, It just got a little easier and a couple of years quicker to become an official grown-up in Japan. We'll explain. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyan Isaacson, a senior director at O'Neill Associates, a state government expert, a communications strategist, and the official voice of OA On Air. Kyan, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Cosmo? Very well. All right, let's get to it. Up first, who doesn't love a good discount? Nobody, right? Nobody. I bet nobody... I do. You love it. You, you do love or you don't love it? I do. Exactly. I bet most listeners right now have several discount loyalty cards in their wallets from all kinds of retailers, right? The drugstore and the supermarket. It's and weighing my wallet down a little bit, but yes. All right. Well, a new survey out this week suggests that Massachusetts consumers, they love discounts and they'd really like to have the same type of retailer-backed coupons and loyalty programs when they buy beer, wine, and spirits. Because guess what? In Massachusetts... The law doesn't really allow that very fundamental element of the retail sector to operate that way in the beer, wine, and spirits retail world. Um, Because of the way the laws are written, you can't provide a retailer-backed coupon for beer, wine, and spirits. You can't use a loyalty card in the same way. Um, And Massachusetts consumers, according to this survey by Consumers First, that's an initiative backed by the national retailer Total Wine & More, which, by the way, has been a humongous success so far in Massachusetts, uh, suggesting 87%, that's a lot, 87% of consumers in Massachusetts surveyed are opposed to laws that prohibit beer, wine, and spirits retailers from offering these coupons and discount programs. Um, It's funny, there's been a whole process um, at the state level to examine uh, and reimagine in a positive way the alcohol laws in Massachusetts hasn't really registered, according to the survey, on the radar with most people, yet um, yet they really have a stake in it. Because guess what? Beer, wine, and spirits is a 
Very popular consumer product, especially here in summertime. Right, Cayenne? Absolutely. Um, and this says it was 217 respondents. I'll make it 218. I agree. Well, think about your habits, right? I mean, and I, and I know from the retailer's perspective, there's a couple of things here. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a critical marketing tool. CVS and uh, other drugstores and your supermarket, whether it's Wegmans or Stop and Shop, uh, and just about any other retail, they're learning a lot about you. They're learning your patterns so they can market to you. But that's also a way of better serving you. Uh, and, and that's important, too. But in this case, it's the discounts and, and giving consumers access to the discounts um, that, uh, that this survey says they really want. Think about how many people buy cases of wine, whether it's for a party that they're holding, maybe that's their personal preference, or you know, Christmas time for gifts. Imagine if it was buy 11, get one free, or, or something like that. I think you create um, incentive on the one hand, but for others, again, loyalty. I'm going to keep going back if I'm getting some points for something, and I'm going to go keep going back to the same store. Uh, so that certainly benefits the retailers, but really benefits us as customers, sure. which is oh, absolutely. Uh, big, big surprise. Consumers uh, surveyed here are opposed to new excise and other taxes on, um, on on beer, wine, and spirits. Don't want to see increases in taxes. Not a big surprise there. Um, but it, it's really bringing attention to this industry in Massachusetts and, and, and really upgrading the regulatory environment, which, by the way, hasn't changed in, in like 80 years. Or, or it, it, it's, it's essentially uh, the laws are, are, are still, uh, you know, the vestiges of antiquated of many, many years ago. And this is part of an effort to, uh, uh, to modify them and make them more consumer friendly. And if you think about the beer, wine, and spirit market, it's certainly very different than it was five to ten years ago. Um, we've got to bring the laws up to, to change with that. We've got craft beer now that's making a big boom. You know, people are saying this generation is putting, taking wine to wine drinking to a whole other level. Ding, 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 I'm done. <laughs> um, so long story short, I agree uh, on the, of course, on the, on the coupons and the discounts, but essentially as part of a larger thing is that the laws and the policies need to reflect what the market looks like these days. And we're drinking beer and wine and spirits differently than we were decades ago. And the retail experience is really being enhanced by some of these game changers like Total Wine and more. That's a good thing. I think this goes hand in hand with improving that experience. Next up, what do you get when you cross a high-end grocery store with the world's leader in delivery logistics and online retail? You get wicked fast home grocery delivery of high-end groceries. Whole Foods this week, which is owned by Amazon, announced they're going to offer their Prime Now deliveries in Boston and three other cities, adding those to about 30 other cities around the country. They're adding these cities. Um, Amazon customers who have Prime memberships will be able to get their groceries delivered for free. 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. daily. If you want something in just one hour, if you want a grocery order in one hour, you pay an $8 fee, minimum $35. Who has ever, minimum $35 purchase? Who has ever spent less than $35 at Whole Foods? Who has ever spent less than $70 at Whole Foods? I'm happy if I can get out of Whole Foods for less than $100. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that, that's a no-brainer. The eight bucks right there, you won't even notice it. Um, so Whole Foods is rolling out Prime Now deliveries. They, 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 they uh, earlier this year in eight cities, they introduced a 10% discount on grocery purchases to Prime members in several states. That's actually not available in Massachusetts, but the two-hour delivery window for free, um, basically all day. I mean, if you can't fit your delivery in between 8 a.m. and 10 p.m., you know what? 
you're leading, you're, you're leading too busy of a life. Um, and uh, $7.99 uh, with a minimum $35 purchase for the one-hour delivery. Cayenne, uh, I know you're a big fan of certain grocery chains over others, um, but this is just another feature of what happens when a big retailer or a big popular retail brand, brick and mortar, Whole Foods, comes together with this giant global behemoth that is Amazon. And I'll tell you, the logistics is the key here. The ability to turn around a delivery at a, at a moment's notice, is it's pretty remarkable. I think that's going to be the test, right, is whether or not logistically it can be done. Um, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. Two hours is not a lot of time, in theory, depending yeah. on how far people have to go, how far is the Whole Foods from where you are. In Boston traffic are we talking about a 30-minute commute to your door um, but it seems like it's about time it also is a lot of incentive for Amazon because they're gonna recruit new prime members and what that means for all of their other offerings yeah. so it's really a I mean just the business move in and of itself is huge uh, I am an avid online grocery consumer I like to have my groceries delivered from time to time partially because I live too busy a life, and partially sometimes just because I'm lazy. But uh, it's a nice offering. Whole Foods hasn't had it before. This is a natural partnership now that they've been taken over. So we'll see if they can if they can manage the, the two-hour window. Yeah. You know, a, 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 a knee-jerk or sort of a, a, a knee-jerk reaction or a, a, a typical reaction to this might be, gee, this is another thing that's going to really hurt the small neighborhood retailer. I actually don't know if that's true because I think that experience for the customer that's still using that kind of a store, and by the way, I'm one of those people, um, for certain for certain types of shopping, um, it's not really going to change your, your your habits. I think what it does is put pressure on the middle, the large regional chains um, that are, are, have some scale, but probably aren't really ready or really into trying to keep up with the Joneses in this regard and say, okay, well, we can do delivery in two hours or three hours. That's where I think the, this really is going to put a squeeze. Well, and a lot of those chains, you know, your Roach Brothers, Stop and Shop, Wegmans, have been doing this delivery model for quite some time. A lot of them also offer uh, pickup, so you can order it if you don't want to have it delivered because you don't want to wait or maybe you don't want to pay the additional fee, where you drive up and somebody brings it out to your car. Um, that's also really handy for some people. And I don't, most people, and this might be a, a broad brushed statement, but a lot of people I don't know that use Whole Foods solely as their only grocery store. I think that's, I think right. that's the difference, right. right? Like, yeah. uh, so I think that is where it leaves room for the mom and pops in your local store. If you're still going to one store for 70% of your groceries and then maybe you go to Whole Foods for your produce or for their uh, you know, whatever else fresh that you want, that's not going to affect how you're doing the rest of your shopping. Um, but it's an, it's a it's the next level for Amazon. I mean, for me, this is this is more of an, uh, of an Amazon story. Of this is one more thing you can get from Amazon. And let's think about when Amazon started ten plus years ago. It was books, and there were people saying this isn't a model that can be sustained. They're never going to make money. They didn't for a long time. Now. You can basically get just about anything from Amazon. It, it, it is pretty remarkable. 
You know, the, the delivery experience, I think back when my kids were really young and we, and we, and we purchased a lot of milk and we had a dairy that, and, and that delivered. And they delivered, they had other, other items too, not a full grocery basket, but a lot of items that you could order. And man, talk about a premium experience. They would come into your home and, and not just, and they would put the things away. Any, I mean, to the point where like, this is amazing. And I, and I also feel kind of like a loser that I'm watching this guy in his uniform putting my groceries away and I'm just standing here like some kind of an idiot. But that's high, high-end service, you know. Um, and, and, and it's been delivered in, 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 at a small scale for a long time. This though is about speed. This is about um, uh, dependability and the, and the ability to say, you know what, I'm gonna order now. I'm gonna have my stuff in plenty of time for my you know, dinner party tonight, whatever it might be. It's, it's pretty significant. Just one more thing on this, because I've been kind of watching the movements of these big retailers. And if you think about Amazon and how it's coming together with brick and mortar stores to, to enhance the experience and give them give, uh, consumers more options. And the pickup locations. And, and the pickup locations and the Amazon lockers at Whole Foods. And then you look at Walmart, right? The, 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 the behemoth of, of brick and mortar also making deals and making and developing services for delivery and enhancing its own delivery target as well and target they're kind of coming together to just just to, just to battle it out and, and see who can get the upper hand um, I, I think because of the logistical operation that Jeff Bezos has built with Amazon um, there's he really has an edge there I don't know if Whole Foods is the perfect partner for every American but it's a big brand yeah and it well and Whole Foods doesn't exist everywhere but where it does exist and people utilize it. I know, you know, people here in our office go there for, the lines are always long, the stores are always packed. Um, it makes sense to me, I, you know, hey, I'm, I am a big proponent of if I can get multiple things done at the same time, which means I can be at home doing laundry or at my kid's practice and getting the grocery shopping taken care of, that makes my life easier. I think a lot of other people feel that way and more and more businesses are going to have to find a way to elbow their way into it. Yeah. The service culture in a lot of different uh, consumer-facing businesses, you really have to have your A-game, and this is another example of that. And finally, well, adulthood's coming two years early this year to millions of Japanese teens, a new law passed just this week lowered the age of official adulthood in Japan from 20 to 18. The law doesn't take effect till 2020, um, but there's more equality because males 18 and up and females 16 and up used to be able to marry but needed parental consent until they were 20. Now, boom, age is 18. You reach that age of majority in Japan. In Japan. Anyone 18 or older can get married on their own. They also, by the way, can take out a loan, change their gender, vote. Um, but uh, new age of majority uh, in Japan. Uh, hey, there's an area where they're more conservative, small C than many, many, many Americans. Where I think in some states we're talking, mm, I don't know, 14 with parental consent, maybe 16, maybe 15. Either way, um, this is seen as a significant cultural shift in Japan. Kyan, what do you think? I'm really happy that girls in Japan are getting some equal footing. Girl power, yay. Yeah. Uh, the idea that males 18 and up and 
females 16 and up used to be able to, to marry. Now we're putting women on, on the same decision-making level as men, uh, more than past time. That's exciting. They can they still can't drink, gamble, or smoke until the age of 20. So some variances, but overall, good move. Drink, move. gamble, smoke. So in the U.S., you got 21 on drinking. You got 21 on gambling. 18 on gambling. 18. Smoking is 21. No. 18 also still, yeah. 18 for smoking. There's a recent proposal to change that. But gambling and smoking are 18, or to purchase thing, cigarettes to smoke, and then drinking 21. And now, well, at least state by state, we, we might as well talk about cannabis very briefly in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's that's Effective July, uh, July 1st, you can purchase marijuana, uh, purchase cannabis if you're 21 years old. 21. Um, but, you know, traditionally, and this is the cultural shift here in Japan, it's a little bit difficult for these teens because they're traditionally preparing at 18 for these intense entrance, enter, uh, postgraduate entrance exams, um, and uh, th somehow that's that, that's causing some disruption or concern as to what's going to happen when this goes into effect uh, in 2020. But uh, um, hey, if you're a Japanese teen, you turn 18, you're officially an adult, and you're right. That the key thing there is um, um, these kids getting married, which is, which is something I'm very interested in. Yes, as a justice of the peace. So what are your thoughts? I am a justice of the peace here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, inexperienced, but just uh, getting going. I think it makes sense. I think that's a really good age. I would have no problem with an across the board you can get married at age 18. You don't need your, parent, your parents' consent. You can vote. You can get drafted. You can go fight for your country. You should be able to get married. I think so. I think so. I think, I think the drinking age is where it ought to be uh, for sure. But uh, 18 years old, you're an adult, and, and that's an adult decision you can make that. So this makes a little bit of sense to me. What's actually really interesting is that they have a coming-of-age ceremony, usually when they turn 20. So it seems like being considered an adult is very different than here. Like what do we have parties for here? Maybe 13 bar and bat mitzvah, maybe a sweet 16, maybe yeah. a quinceanera. But Dante Alighieri, there's, a, there's that. There's a coming out party in the Italian community and some. I didn't get a party when I turned 18. No, I mean, I got a graduation party and then, my, and then, I, and then I celebrated my 21st birthday in a, a non-family way. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's interesting too. Is that this they recognize their adults differently? I think than we uh, recognize them here, and that is uh, not in any way an expert statement. But what I'm inferring from this article and the idea that they do a ceremony when you come of age. Yeah, we assign adulthood to different things, or we we assign uh, our, our maturity to different things, uh, kind of randomly. I mean, very arbitrary. But honestly, I mean, I, I don't want to raise the driving age, but. 16 years old, you're driving a car. I mean, you know, you're driving a potentially deadly weapon, so you better know what the heck you're doing. You know? A lot of responsibility. A lot of, tremendous amount of responsibility. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Kyan, it's a pleasure as always. Always good to be here. All right. Terrific. Hey, 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening, and goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masilla.
That's all for 321 Go. Up next, Andrea Lee Blackman on fulfilling her lifelong dream of becoming an actress, the amazing things she gets to do as a stunt woman, and her recent experience playing Joan Kennedy in Chappaquiddick. Welcome to OA On Air. I'm Ant Murphy, Senior Vice President at O'Neill & Associates, and today we're very happy to have local actress and model Andrea Blackman with us. She's got a lot of fascinating stories to tell. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Anne. It's great for you to be here, and I just want everybody to know, a little, I know a little bit about you, but um, can you tell me a little bit on when did you first know that you wanted to be an actress, and how did that all manifest? I think when I was young, my mom took me to Wheelock Theater, and uh, I saw a play, To Kill a Mockingbird, and I was just so fascinated by the stage, the lighting, the actors, just the whole, the whole thing was just fascinating to me, and I was just captivated at a very young age, and just had the passion to be on stage and be involved with all that. Wow, how old were you then when you saw that? Jeez, I don't know. Younger than 10? Probably right around 10 years old. Right around that age. And the world is before you. Well, what were some of your first acting roles? One of the first jobs I ever worked on was the movie Fever Pitch. That was oh my, my first God. movie. Um, I worked as an extra, and that's how I got involved in doing movies. Before then, I did some commercial work. I worked on an anti-smoking commercial. I did some commercials for Dunkin' Donuts, Subway, Curry Coffee. Wow, all those brands. It. Fever Pitch, now that is like one of my favorite movies. What was it like to be in that movie? It was, it was hard work. We worked a lot of overnights on that. I think I worked two weeks straight on that movie and uh, we filmed in pretty cold temperatures and we had to shoot and pretend like it was warmer temperatures and we were freezing and we'd fill up our water bottles with uh, hot water to keep our hands cold, oh. uh, not cold, keep them warm mm -hmm. and uh, just really fun to be in the close proximity with um, Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon and to work with the Farley brothers who are that's like right. The they're coolest local. guys to work with. They're yeah. from Boston yeah. and they're really fun. They're really, really fun and all about family and just they just have such an amazing, amazing cast and crew when they work. Did you work at Fenway Park on that? We did. Yes. In the cold? Yes. <laughs> Although sometimes we are sitting in the cold with this weather here in Fenway Park, but that must have been an amazing experience to be working at Fenway Park as an actress. It was so cool. We got to go on the field, which was which was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit about being an actress in the Boston area as opposed to being in New York or L.A. where the entertainment cent you know, centers are. How difficult is it or is it easy to get roles? What happens in that regard? It's pretty challenging here because there's not as many opportunities as I'd like anyways. There's so much more going on in New York and Los Angeles, and you're very restricted as to some of the roles that you can get here, but I make it work. You do. You certainly do. One of the things we're going to talk about making it work is uh, you recently appeared as Joan Kennedy in the movie Chappaquiddick. Tell us how you got that role. My agency that I work with, Maggie Inc., Casey, my agent there, he called me in to go in and see Angela at Boston Casting and to audition for this role. And Angela was like, you'll be perfect for this. And so I went in, I auditioned, I got myself dressed up in the whole 60s look. 
and try to channel my own Joan Kennedy, the whole look from head to toe. So you did that in the audition? I did that in the audition. You have to do that. You have to make yourself look like the character so you are relatable and the, the director can picture you in that, in that role. That's amazing. So uh, how did you prepare for the role? Once you got the role, which must have been really exciting, then how did you prepare for it? I did a lot of research on Joan Kennedy. I watched a lot of clips or whatever clips I could find on her just to see her mannerisms, how she walked, how she spoke, and just looked at a lot of, studied a lot of photographs of her. And I also had my hair lightened a lot and cut mm -hmm. to look like her. I went through a lot of makeup trials. Um, and then we went with the whole wardrobe, which was amazing. Uh, they had these great costumes made for me to replicate exactly what she wore for certain scenes that she's photographed in. And so, I mean, everything from the undergarments. I mean, I even had a bra from the 60s on it, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, a lot different from those. <laughs> the new ones. The new ones, yeah. But it was um, very, very fascinating. And the old shoes and the jewelry. I mean, just amazing. Well, I can tell, I can attest that I saw the movie and the styling alone was beautiful and you really did bring out the essence of her in that, in that, uh, in the movie. I thought that, you know, you looked like her, it, it was just really, I thought you really did a great job there. Thank you, it was very fun. So what was your experience like working on that movie with the Ed Helms and with Jason Clark? Uh, they, they, they also had very prominent roles and they seemed like they were, you know, they, they did a great job. I didn't know what it was like working, like, working with them. Yeah, just incredible actors. Uh, I very much respect for Jason Clark, who's just incredible. I mean, he's he's done so many great films, and to be able to work side by side with him was just it was really really amazing. And Ed Helms, I, I always see him in these comedies, and to see him in a different role was really cool. I, I mean, that's that's a really great actor when you can see them play different levels and and just you know immerse themselves in a different character. Wow, that was great. I, I know that they did an awesome job. Well, tell me, I know you have a lot of other things that you've done in your life in the acting world, and I'm personally fascinated about your experience work, working as a stunt actress and what roles you've appeared in do, and what did you do during those stunt actressing? Acting. So I've worked as a stunt double for Laura Linney uh, on the show Showtime's Big C, and uh, we did some, I did some scuba diving for her down in Puerto Rico, which was really exciting. A little bit scary because I had to get caught in a fishing net Ooh. and reeled out of a boat. Um, that was really, really fun just to be able to go scuba diving down in Puerto Rico. And, and I did some swimming stuff for her down there as well. Uh, another actress that I've doubled for is Mimi Gummer um, doing some water swimming stuff because she didn't want to get into the water in March in the ocean on the Cape. So I, I don't think many people would no. really. <laughs> But I volunteered. I like the, uh, the I have the I like the excitement, and um, I'm always up for anything. So uh, I did that. I also did some some precision driving, stunt driving stuff on a movie called The Year by the Sea. Um, another movie I went in the water for in March. <laughs> Can't you get in the I... water in August? Really, you I know? know. I know. <laughs> Uh, so I did that, and then I did some. Um, I do a lot of stunt work for myself for for roles that I for I do. So like body proof, I was an Olympic equestrian for that show, and I was murdered, and so I had to be 
it, it had to look like I was being dragged through the woods by a horse. Oh so I did that. That was that was interesting. Um, okay, let me ask you a question. Dragged to the woods by a horse. Now, were you attached to the horse during the shooting of this? So there was no horse involved. It was supposed to oh, okay. be. It was supposed to be that I was dragged through the ho- dragged by a horse. Um, they actually had me raped to a um, a truck, and my leg was harnessed and they had a rope and they were pulling me through the woods that still doesn't sound too good i mean there's there's a safety coordinator there's a stunt coordinator so they make sure everything you know is as safe as it can be but i mean you still end up with bumps and bruises and but i love it i love love it. it you know how do you prepare for stunt acting and you said that they have like safety people there but there is this element of danger you have to be willing to do this stuff and sort of be fearless are you fearless I am pretty fearless, I'd have to say, in certain situations. I know my limits, and I won't go beyond those. Um, and that's a good thing for a stunt person, because you can't say, yeah, I can do anything, and then get in the position, and you can't do it. So you have to be you know, real about what you can do, and you just have to train for, for the types of projects that you could be on. So I'll train some martial arts stuff. I'll do some scuba diving. I'll practice swimming. I'll keep up with my horseback riding just so I can do all those things at a drop of a hat if I need to. So you are all already accomplished in some of those things. You already had yes. experience in that yes. anyway, so you yep. didn't have to just learn a new, a totally new skill, but hone, hone it up, right? Yes, exactly. Wow. Anyway, um, <laughs> I just can't believe uh, all the things you could do. But I also know you have very, a lot of layers to what you do. You're also a sought-after model, and you created this interesting initiative called the Icon Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I had this idea with my mom and my husband to take these 12 images of iconic women and recreate them from start to finish. So the whole project started with the idea that I would recreate two pictures. One was the Farrah Fawcett, the iconic picture of her in the red bathing suit. Oh, really? And then I wanted to do a, a photo of Grace Kelly that I loved growing up. And so from those two, I developed 12, and I found the best hair, makeup, photographers, everyone locally in Boston area to work on this with me. So I have a different team for each for each shot. And so just recreated the whole look, um, hair, makeup, wardrobe, location. They're amazing photos. Amazing. And I think that when people go and look, at, uh, I'll, I'll direct them to your website at the end of this, but when they see them, it's just really, you just really embody those uh, beautiful uh, pictures and the women in it and it's very creative I thought it was really interesting and I I know since you're in this business and it's really a tough business to be in in uh, in in acting or modeling uh, I know that you probably get asked for advice a lot and you said that you really want to share your information with others and you're going to try to start some kind of consulting practice via online how is that going I, I get a lot of emails or Facebook messages or just people that I know that will you know how can I get my son or my daughter involved in this and I'd like to just kind of help mentor people in a way and and show them the right way to go about the business and teach them teach them about the business because it is a business it's an art but it also is a business and you have to be able to handle rejection and you have to be able to know how to market yourself if you want to be successful in the business and there's so many different layers to it and I just think that I can offer a lot to people Mm -hmm. and um, there's a lot of opportunities for people you don't have to be 
a perfect 10 type model or 5'11 to do some of the work in Boston. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to just help people. That's great. Um, I mean, I think getting more information out there for anybody is obviously great. What's your next step? Do you have any news for us or we have to just stay tuned? You can stay tuned. I mean, I have a couple photo shoots lined up for next week, which will be fun with some local clients. And, you know, I just keep auditioning for stuff. We'll see you out there. And if anybody wants to check out Andrea's website, it's andreablackman.com with an a-N-D-R-I-A Blackman.com Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you, Anne. This was fun. And finally, Two Minutes with Tom. This week, Tom talks about Father's Day and his dad, Tip O'Neill, who left a profound mark on our country through his dedication and leadership in politics and government. So Tom, Father's Day is coming up this weekend, and with that in mind, I thought it would be a good time to talk about your dad, Tip O'Neill. You know, in, in my mind, it's always a good time to talk about my father, but but when you talk about my father and, and Father's Day, I, I suspect he was like everybody else's father day, fa- father, around Father's Day. He, he viewed it uh, with a mind towards, you know, this might have been a, a greeting card ploy put on by, you know, by the American greeting card people to make people believe yet another important holiday was needed in place of or together with Mother's Day, which is far more important, as we all know. That is a very however, good thing to say. However, uh, I will tell you that if I didn't call my father on Father's Day or somehow I forgot or overlooked it, the importance of it, I didn't hear from him necessarily, but I heard from my mother who said, you know, you forgot to call your father last night and you, you, you owe him a telephone call. And he'd pretend that it never bothered him. So, you know, I'm of the same mind, and I'm a father as well. I, I don't make a big deal out of Father's Day. I, I really never think about it uh, until it's directly upon me, a day or two, like it is now, before me. However, if my kids didn't call me, I'd be, I'd be devastated. Tom, your father is obviously very well-known, a very well-respected figure, uh, Tip O'Neill. And I know we've all heard a lot of great stories about him, but for anyone who didn't know him personally or didn't have a personal connection, what he's really known for is his exceptional work uh, and particularly around bipartisanship. Uh, With everything that's happening in today's world and and government, what do you think he would have to say? Well, he he would be distraught. I think like an awful lot of Americans are today about what the scene in Washington is like uh, today and how the American government is operating, or frankly not operating. You know, he, w- he was somebody who came into politics with a deep respect for the body politic, the process of government, um, and, he, and he viewed people and the offices people held as to be people who were noble and that the office was to be treated with a, with a great degree of understanding and respect. And so when my father's remembered at the same time and in the same breath as Ronald Reagan because of the way they were able to cooperate and get along with one another, it was because they both attacked politics from the same vantage point. They respected one another. Uh, They respected the office that the other held. And they both believed that politics was the art of compromise. And, uh, And the government was there so that progress was made for the American people 
and the government of the United States. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air. Thank you for tuning in. Now be sure to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and really anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We'll talk to you next week. OA On Air is developed, recorded, and produced in our Boston office here in Government Center. Production by Brooke O'Meara Science and content creation by the O'Neill & Associates team. Music is provided by Ben Sound and Long Zijun. To stay up to date with us here at OA On Air, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes.